tonight on Unsolved Mysteries. Christmas party murder, psychic fraud, Drummond's dollars, and coma recovery. Hi, I'm your co-host, Crystal. And I'm your other co-host, Robert. And this is Reenacted, an Unsolved Mysteries podcast. And hopefully we'll be able to record the entire episode. Yes. A um, little behind-the-scenes magic. We're having some audio uh, issues. So, um, you know, I don't want to give away too much. But as you might have surmised already, Robbie and I are not uh, in the same room recording the pod. <gasps> even though... I know we've been seamless up until this point, so hope, hopefully we can get through this um, very, very special after-school episode of Unsolved Mysteries. Anything you wanted to tell the people at home? Um, no. Oh, good. Then I can talk about my thing. Okay. Uh, I recently scored a hundred and sixty dollars selling some stuff online. What'd you sell? Uh, Hellraiser action figures. I didn't know that you uh, you had those in particular. Uh, yes, uh, for about I think I bought them about ten years ago. I think I only paid forty dollars for them. So sadly, uh, my best financial investment in my entire life has been toys. <laughs> well, how many did you sell? Um, four figures plus sort of layer setup oh okay so those were about forty dollars a piece no no they, they were forty it was forty like they came in a set with the layer setup and it was uh-huh. for, like i think it was forty or fifty dollars i forked over for them mm-hmm. uh, so uh i'm going to be sure to when this episode drops blast a lot of horror movie social media <laughs> Mm-hmm. about this podcast hope they come over listen to this particular episode first and get deceived into thinking that there's going to be a lot more horror movie talk <laughs> are you sure you want to reveal your dastardly plan on pod on Mike? well i'm hoping that by this point they will found us charming enough that they might be willing to give us a listen um yeah i guess anyway so we got a really interesting episode yeah we we have a a new segment type which uh, robbie will talk about at the end um i think i'm just gonna yell for a bit through the first segment (laughs) (laughs) okay um i'll just get right into it it's an unexplained death segment and it's about a uh, young woman named Rhonda henson who was uh tragically murdered in 1981 leaving uh after leaving an office Christmas party outside of um, Valdez, North Carolina. Um, the story with Rhonda is it was her first job. She had just graduated from high school. She still lived with her parents. Um, she took some girlfriends home after, after the uh, Christmas party. And then she was driving by herself down a back road and somebody um, shot through the trunk of her car with a high-powered rifle 
and was able to, uh, well, uh, unfortunately or purposefully killed Rhonda. Um, her body was found, uh, near her car, uh, in the ditch. I'm actually looking at the crime scene photo right now because Robbie was so kind to hook me up with um, unsolvedmysterieswikia.com and uh, her body looked like it had been intentionally taken out of the car, not like she had just crashed and it had fallen out. Taken out of the car with her arms uh, laying by their side. So incredibly, we get an interview with both Rhonda's mother and father and incredibly Rhonda's mother Claims that in the middle of the night, she woke up out of a deep sleep and had some kind of premonition that something terrible had happened to Rhonda. So she turns to her husband and wakes him up and um, naturally he has a police scanner. So he goes over to the scanner and he hears about a homicide and what road it was on. And I mean, what a way to find out about your daughter's murder is over the police yeah. scanner. Um aside from that. <clears throat> so, uh, then we get a cut after explaining all this to Robert Stack, uh, in a more naturalistic setting. He's wearing his, uh, leather bomber jacket. <laughs> uh, no, there's no ties. It's a casual stack, but, um, he's ready for action. That's how I would describe that. Um, so back to the case, uh, police think it might've been someone that Rhonda knew, uh, only because it looked like she had pulled over and then, um, spoken with somebody and then kept driving. I don't know. The reenactment was very confusing. Also, there's a number of witnesses. I'm glad. <laughs> well, now I'm, I'm glad looking you at the were crime confused too, because I was confused through this whole thing yeah i don't i couldn't understand how i mean at first it sounds like somebody was in her trunk and then fired to the front of the car and then in the reenactment it looks like somebody is having some kind of discussion with Rhonda while holding a gun and she drives away and then he takes a shot at the car as it's speeding away and now that i'm looking at the crime scene photo it doesn't look like she came to a stop of her own free will. It was either an accident or it's she, her car's on the side of the road in a way it would be in an accident. Not if she had just intentionally kind of pulled off the side of the road. So I'm, uh, there's a lot of just important detail missing. And I don't know if it's because unsolved mysteries, um, did a bad job or if it's because the cops were not, asking the right questions or revealing enough detail about this case. Um, I, think, I think there's just a lot of incoherent incompetence across the board with everyone involved in this yeah, segment. We get more information and I'm, I'm coming to, I know I'm getting really in detail in a way I don't really like doing anymore, but I'm doing it for a reason, which is to, to point out some glaring omissions. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> or things that aren't said in this segment. Uh, prior to the night of Rhonda's murder, um, her parents report she'd been acting a little bit strangely. Uh, she used to be quite independent and sort of cheerful, and, she, and then she started acting sort of forlorn, and she wanted, all of a sudden wanted her dad to accompany her into, for trips into town just to run errands. She didn't want to do that by herself. On one of the trips into town, Rhonda mentions something uh, that she wanted to tell her dad, but she doesn't end up, like, 
she seems, but in the reenactment, she just kind of seems like she has something she has to get off her chest, but she doesn't actually ever end up telling her dad. It's very reminiscent of Jack Brown from the Michigan real estate shooting. Like, because yes. in, in the car with his <laughs> wife, he's like, hey, I have something. Like, this is another case of someone who has some really important critical information and chooses not to review it, reveal it after saying that they have this information. Right. <sighs> so I guess dad didn't pry. I don't, I don't know. I think probably my parents would have been pretty concerned after that. Um, later, later on at some point, uh, Rhonda's speaking with her mother and asks her mother kind of apropos of nothing. It seems at least in the reenactment, uh, if it was ever quote, okay to go with a married man. And, um, Why that didn't set off every like red flag for her mom, I have no idea. She's she's this girl is eighteen years old. She just graduated from high right. school. She's not wise in the ways of the world, you know. She still lives at home. Um. Anyway, so her mom told so so her mother tells Rhonda, well, no, it's never okay because it'll just end up in hurting feelings, which is sage advice. True enough. Um. Mm-hmm. So. Then we get all this, these witnesses coming forward saying they saw this or that car on the same road or parked suspiciously on the side of the road. We get one witness that comes forward that says that they had seen something like Rhonda's car with a woman slumped over the steering wheel on the side of the road with a man struggling with her. Um, the witness assumed that the woman had, was drunk and um, the man was trying to get her out of the driver's seat. Uh, so the, naturally, the thing to do is to put this person under hypnosis. Yes, of course, it's the preferred method for creating fake memories of satanic child abuse <laughs> and destroying innocent people's lives. But it's also apparently very useful for determining the car of a trans, color of a Trans Am that may have been parked on the side <laughs> of the road. I don't. That too. I don't know what kind of uh, backwoods police work is going on in Valdez, North Carolina, <laughs> but I'm going to solve this crime at the end of uh, the end of this. So, Ooh. Um, well, I don't know who did it, but I, I know where they, where they should have been looking. Um, okay. So, and we actually, in the unsolved mystery segment, we get the tape of the like recovered memory hypnosis. And there's, <laughs> there's nothing interesting about it at all. It's just like the Trans Am was this color. Have you ever found a mental implant in your body? There was a man who was about five foot ten. I'm just like, oh my god, really? This isn't this isn't adding anything to my experience as a viewer. Anyway, finally we get we get back to the cop or the sheriff or whatever. His name's Ralph Johnson, and at this whole time I'm like watching the segment. I'm like, come on, Ralph Johnson. At the end, the segment ends with basically no leads, no more information than what I just gave you. And the sort of sad visual of Rhonda keeping, or Rhonda's mother keeping Rhonda's room exactly how it was, with a complete with a creepy doll in the bed, you know. And so they were filming. She died in 1981, so they were filming the segment in 1989 or 1990. So that's quite a long time to keep a room in the house in that state. But I'm I'm not judging. Anyway, Robbie, no, jump in at any point. 
<laughs> um, it seems like there's uh, quite a few things in here that you're very incredulous about. Um, certainly the hypnosis segment. Otherwise, this would have just been a, a straight out, you know, wanted or unsolved murder sort of segment. But they had to bring in hypnosis, which just this makes this, you know, part of a long chain of bullshit segments in this episode. Um, I I was mostly interested in the Christmas party they depicted at the beginning yes. of the. Uh, I I I found it fascinating. You know, they have a a tree with some lights, but they're not the multicolored. They're just the plain white. And there's a few decorations, and there's a lot of people slow dancing around. Is that really a common feature of office Christmas parties? Um, I've never been to, to an office <laughs> Christmas party, a work-related Christmas function in my entire life. So, I, I mean, for all I, all I know, this trope is the same as... You know, a town that has a huge Halloween bash at the high school gymnasium. Mm-hmm. I've never seen that in my life. I don't. I don't know that I've. I haven't seen the Halloween bash, but I've been to a few office Christmas parties, and generally, yeah. yeah I mean, people are dancing. Um, you know, kind of depends on the culture of the company. Might just be people standing standing around having a drink after work. But um, yeah, I've been to some pretty pretty wild Christmas parties. <laughs> so. Okay. Um, which well, this one was, yes. wasn't really wild. It was mostly just kind of minimalistic. Uh, a very simple tree. There was a guy in a Santa suit. That sounds And then they right. just depict Rhonda. Yeah, and they depict Rhonda just sort of having this goofy look on her face when she's dancing with this guy. Um, it's, it, was, it was a very strange choice, in, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> well, yeah. the, the Christmas party brings me back to uh, my theory oh. of what okay. was happening. And I also forgot um, to mention a very important detail. Among the strange behavior Rhonda started exhibiting before she died, um, she was having some insomnia. She would get up in the middle of the night and go shower. One time her mom asked her, you know, Rhonda, what are you doing? And she's just like, oh, I just feel so dirty and I can't get it off of me. Police say this was um, sort of indicative of someone who had been through some sexual assault or trauma. Um, I have no reason to argue with that. So I don't know why these police didn't put like two and two together to make four. So Rhonda starts acting weird. She doesn't want to be alone. The police assume... Whoever it was that shot her knew her because she had pulled over at some point. Um, yeah. They say she might have be- been being stalked. Why on earth did they not go back to her workplace and start asking questions? That would be the first place to start. And then she's asking about, is it okay to go with a married man? So... Let's run a few scenarios here. It's going to be a married individual yes. at a workplace. Did, was, you, you, you don't have to do what they did in, in the, the Washington, D.C. stabbing uh, case where they literally interrogated an entire grocery store's uh, worth of employees. Yeah, I don't... You, 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 <laughs> well, and also you, 
you can start putting together who didn't have an alibi after 12.30 a.m. Mm-hmm. after the Christmas party. First of all, anyone who works there and was attending the Christmas party was going to know exactly when she left and where she was going. Uh, second of all, is it okay to go with a married man? Either something happened to Rhonda that was consensual or no, but being that it was her first job yeah. at a, I think it was a steel mill or I think it was a steel mill. Yeah, it, it was it was some sort of, I, I want to say concrete factory, but maybe that's just my own bias. Oh, it, she was a clerical worker for a steel company. That's that's what the wiki says. Okay, yeah. Um, which is, I'm going to assume a male-dominated field, so she was probably one of a handful of women in that company. Oh, yeah, yeah. It, it's like, you know, there's two or three women in the trailer that's the office for the company and then everyone else at the workplace is a guy um i actually also and they didn't cover it at all they didn't see if they performed an autopsy on Rhonda. um they said a lot about her being somebody of upstanding and good character which i can still believe but she might have been pregnant oh oh That makes sense. And by a married man, it would make sense why she was showering. It would make sense why she wanted to tell her dad something. Crystal, did anyone like, check? Sometimes we, <laughs> yeah, sometimes we've made calls to action for like cases that are unsolved. If people listening somehow know something, but it it kind of seems like in this case, this is. Almost something where we have to like take it upon ourselves to, I don't know, contact this police department and <laughs> well, I mean, she, make some 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 suggestions as to what the heck to do. Well, it, I mean, it's it's a cold case. This was now thirty six and a half years ago that this happened. I mean, this yeah. she she passed away before I was even born. So I just I'm I'm. When I was watching this segment, what was unraveling in my mind was it's a small town. They didn't want to go poking around the steel company, even though it would be the very first place I think any detective worth their salt would go look. They didn't want to interfere. They didn't want to get anybody in any trouble. But all the evidence points to it was somebody she knew. You have all this evidence from the parents. She was acting very strangely. And... People at her company Christmas party would have known exactly when she left and where she was going. I, do, I don't think it gets any more obvious than this. Like, I don't know what the fuck the police were doing by not going and questioning. But I think it has to do with small town. They didn't want to make any trouble. And they were probably going to find out something they didn't want to know. Or have to prosecute. I think what you're saying is it's up to us to solve this this mystery. <laughs> well, I don't I like, don't know what we're I'm... gonna have to three billboards this. <laughs> this is an absolutely three billboard situation is why the fuck then they'd go do the most obvious things. Yeah, so we don't get any update. Uh, I'm reading the wiki here. Some DNA was pulled off of Rhonda's sweater when she died that wasn't hers. That's never been matched to a suspect, probably because it was not a repeat offender. Probably a crime of passion. Mm. Just saying. Right. 
<clears throat> anyway, they really beef this well, one, the, Robbie. Yeah, and <laughs> with this doubly kind of head desk aspect of this is at the end of the segment, Robert Stack said, you know, laments, you know, that they, uh, he says something like they don't have those little pieces of information they need to solve it. But listening to you, they, they can clearly get those little pieces of information. They just didn't. They, everything is pointing in one direction. It was somebody she worked with and they probably didn't probably because Again, they weren't asking questions they didn't want answers to. They probably didn't check or give her an autopsy or anything. They were like, oh, you know, obviously she died with a gunshot wound. There's nothing else we need to know here. But I think there probably was. So. I feel really bummed out listening to all this. Well, I got. This this does sound like. I want justice for Rhonda. And uh, we don't get it, and I don't. I don't think we will. And I'm not sure what we're supposed to do with a 37 year old cold case. You know, so we we t- we take the podcast on the road. <laughs> we're, are we headed to Valdez, North Carolina? Well, af- af- after we do our our Queen Mary live recording, our next live recording will be us trying to solve this case in North Carolina. Well, you know, there's a $20,000 reward is being offered for information. And my information is, hey, cops, do your fucking job. <laughs> hey, so um, if you're listening to this... Uh, it's we're getting into the second segment of uh, episode uh, seven of season two of Unsolved Mysteries. Um, we recorded the first segment probably I don't know Robbie like a month ago. Would you say? Greetings from the future, yes. listeners, <laughs> or from the past, still probably. Um, oh, yeah. But we had some technical uh, issues, so we couldn't do a full episode recording. So there's been. Um, a long period of time between when we recorded the first segment and now now the, the rest of the show. So if the, it seems like we don't quite remember the episode as well. That's because um, we're old and senile. So don't at us about that. Uh, so we left off on seg- the second segment of the show, which is another update segment. Uh, about our our favorite nude uh, video store pedophilia story. Um, Our favorite. I mean, there's just so many to choose from. Yeah, yeah. Uh, And there's not really much to tell because I think we already had all the sufficient updates on this scumbag and we know he's he's locked away forever. Yep. So, good riddance. Bye! Okay, so there's your update. Um... So, uh, coincidentally, yes. uh, Crystal, I was going through my some of my stuff as I'm cleansing out my life of excessive material possessions. Well, I and, you, I haven't been at your house recently, but it didn't really seem like you owned that many things to begin with. There's even fewer now. <laughs> well, good, good on you. <laughs> yes, thank you. Yeah. Um, and though you never went into that other living room. With, yeah, the, the other living room smoke. that we don't talk about. Yeah. I didn't. Uh, You're right. Yeah, yeah. That that helped to. I think. I think 
stuff being just thrown in there helped to maintain the illusion that the rest of the house was barely furnished, if at all. Mm-hmm. Um, but as I was going through some stuff, I came across uh, a rather interesting thing, at least for me. Now, we've discussed our previous video store rental experience on this podcast. Mm -hmm. At length, I believe. Yes. (laughs) Multiple times, (laughs) uh, too, I I, I guess. Honestly, we should just make this the video rental store podcast. I mean, but with a better title than that. But that's what this should be called, probably. Yeah. Um... increasingly it will, it will have to be but i came across uh, when i worked at hollywood video mm-hmm. um during their phase where they are desperately trying to sell stuff in addition to renting out movies to to sort of shore up their declining profit margin they were selling uh they did an audio version of the twilight zone some time ago mm-hmm. uh is those called the twilight zone radio dramas and they had a little display that we set up on the counter at my store. And, um, you know, on the on the uh, video screens in, in the store itself, on the promo disc, there would be like a minute-long Stacy Keach narrated uh, promo for this uh, radio program. And um, for some reason, I bought a couple of the CDs which I, I've transferred them into digital format, so I don't need them anymore. Mm-hmm. But each, each each CD you bought came with a, a coupon for a dollar off a purchase of another set of Twilight Zone radio drama CDs. Mm-hmm. And I have found one of those coupons. And I'm seriously advocating that maybe we should make this some sort of prize that will, like, our first prize to go out to <laughs> one of our listeners. I love it. So would you, well, first of all, when did the coupon expire? Um, you know, I actually, I don't see any expiration date on this. Mm-hmm. Now, admittedly, the Twilight Zone radio dramas are not in production anymore, and Hollywood Video is a defunct business, but mm-hmm. uh, who knows? This this coupon could have cash value even if it says no cash value on it uh well i here's what i think we should do i think we should encourage our listeners to leave us a review on itunes and then once we get to say 20 reviews we can pick um one of those reviews out of a hat (gasps) Ah, cool. And then announce who won it uh, on the podcast, and then they can have, you know, a couple of days to get get at us and give us their um, mailing address, and then we can send them this coupon. What are the odds that anyone would believe that this was not pre-planned between us. This was just me throwing this at you. Um, any... <laughs> and you have responded magnificently. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Um, I think the odds are pretty high because we <laughs> we don't pre-plan any of this, really. 
So. Yeah, I guess that's true. Uh, yeah, that sounds good. Uh, so go ahead, leave us those five-star reviews on iTunes. Uh, please give us some sort of evidence that it was you who left the review. I, I'm not sure how that works, Chris. Um, you please use your first, your real first name when you leave the review. Okay. And then we'll... It- We'll we'll announce who, but it'll it'll be at random. I'll put it in a spreadsheet or something when we get to twenty reviews, and then I'll have a random number generator, and it won't. It it'll be like the Excel version of picking a name out of a hat, but it's all okay. it's all very uh, sound math type stuff. I uh, <laughs> <laughs> spoken like like a, a true research methodology. Yeah, just looking for reasons to make spreadsheets over here, pretty much. So. Excellent. Well, I, I I think that occupied the amount of time that we would be spending talking about an update segment if there's actually anything to talk about. Um, so. Yeah, that that's good. We can then we can wrap it up. So I don't, I'm not even sure it needs to be a five star review. Just like a review like once we get to 20 name will go in a hat so if you uh robbie are you gonna autograph this oh man that's an idea um you know it seems like they would really want both autographs maybe i'll autograph it and then like express mail it to you and Uh with the uh, and then you can autograph it and they can uh they can uh frame it or well i mean I don't, Crystal, I'll you're cut. you're you're nearly as popular as I am. I wasn't about to, I wasn't about to. I <laughs> hey, I've been described as a relatively normal woman. Thank you very much. We're back. We should probably talk about this uh, fraud. Fraud. Fraud by broads. Yeah. So I can't remember. Was I like back? 10 years ago when we started recording this episode, was I supposed to tackle this one or yeah, this was a, this was a Robbie. Okay. Well, do you need a yes, moment this to compose is... yourself? Yeah. Okay. This is a psychic fraud segment. So already isn't, it's, isn't, yeah. I mean, that's kind of an oxymoron. Yeah. Or is that redundant? <laughs> no, that'd be redundant. Mm, yes. Um, the... No, an oxymoron oh. is like military intelligence. Right. I've I've seen the movie um, Renaissance Man also. <laughs> I'm, so, I'm anyway, sorry. I'll figure, anyway, I'll figure out what uh, words mean later in my own time. <laughs> anyway, um, uh, so this segment, actually, Robert Stack, I think, kind of agrees with your uh, outlook on psychic phenomenon. Yeah, he's because, like, what's going on in these psychic shops? Who can say? Yeah. It's probably bullshit. Right, yeah, he's he's like he's right next to you know a sign, and he reads off the sign, and it has, I'm not sure if it's necessarily condescending, but he's he's it's more like he's humoring the very topic and trying not to sound completely dismissive of it. Yeah, it's like fortunes told, tarot readings, tea leaves. Sounds intriguing. <laughs> well, it's, you, it's... you know, um, as a sidebar, I was thinking as I was watching this segment, um, he's clearly in front of some like psychic shop in Hollywood. And I've been like kind of keeping an eye out around town to be like, oh. Can, is it open? Can I find it? 
And here's the thing about LA is there are an impossible amount of psychics. <laughs> there are so many. There's not just like the town psychic. There's like five in the valley that I found. Hollywood is just like there's one on every one or two on every major street. Well, I mean, it's I, it's I guess I wouldn't necessarily be surprised by that because you have people either really desperate people hoping for their big break or people who have reached their big break and now mm-hmm. have an excessive amount of money to spend on any idiotic whim that comes across them. Well, there's, and there's and Los Angeles is certainly chock full of that, but I just think it would have moved beyond that into something like you, you know Scientology? <laughs> well, yeah, this well, believe me, there's a lot of that too, but um you know, well, there are a lot of cold pressed juice places. There's a lot of places to get your juice cleanse. There's just all manners of bullshit in LA. <laughs> juice, juice cleanse? What, what is that? Is that like you're, you're getting juice extracted out of your blood system? No, or? it's like you drink these special juices to get, and I'm doing big air quotes here, to get the toxins out of your body. Ah, yeah. yes. Okay. I do. Uh, there was a place like that o- that opened in the student union at UNR when we were grad student grad students there, right? Um, this is this is kind of different. Like some of these places, like I why am I plugging what I think is idiotic? Um, <laughs> some of these places, I well, have... you're just following the lead of the show, <laughs> um, right? So some of these places have like um, you can just go in and get like a cold pressed juice. You can just pick one up, or they'll make you a smoothie or something, right? So it's like. Not too different from your run-of-the-mill Jamba Juice, but then a lot of them have like a like a like a set of juices. Like you come in and you buy their program, just as you would, I guess, with like Jenny Craig or something. Like here's the thing you drink on week one, and then here's the thing you do on week two, and it's like a different juice to get the toxins out. My God, yeah, that to me that just sounds like the equivalent of taking a huge bundle of money and throwing it off a bridge. Yeah. Um, which coincidentally. Which coincidentally. Well, or just setting it on fire in your backyard, even. Backyard. <laughs> oh, um, I- I'm actually amazed. This is a w- way different from any psychic fraud I would have ever imagined. It's real bananas. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I just assumed most psychic fraud was just like code readers they tell you whatever they think you want to hear. You hand them over, you know, money over and over again. But this is a different sort of racket entirely. Uh, we go back to March 1987. Uh, and unsurprisingly, most of the people that they interview who were victims of this particular fraud do not want their real identities released. Um can't say I'd blame them. Yeah. I wouldn't want anyone to know uh, either. Uh, Karen is our first victim. She was a actually a respected educator, but she was mentally and physically uh, damaged after a car accident. And her friends, so, for some reason, maybe I should have put air quotes on friends, uh, convinced her to go see a psychic. And this psychic business was a 
co-op between a woman named Anne Coruscelli mm-hmm. sure. and another woman named Lena Marie Wilson. And I guess we see my the the biases of my Anglo-Saxon background in the pronunciation of those two names. Um, but yes, these uh, psychic pair run what is to me is the most insane business that I can't even believe works. Like, I basically they convince their these these poor victims that their money is evil. And it's responsible for all the bad things in their life. And the only way to to get purge their lives of all evil uh, uh, is to just destroy this money. Yeah. Well, just to get rid of it. What they what they're the the line of thought is that Satan is of the earth. So Satan is like a materialist and money is of the earth. So you have to get rid of your money. Yeah, I, well, and that was that was another fascinating thing for me was to see like a lot of crosses and Christian icon yeah be yeah. in this psychic shop because to me that just seems so strange because most um, uh, most denominations of Christianity I'm aware of are would would not want themselves associated with this you know with anything psychic and i I know i guess there's enough like rank and file people who are okay with just blending the two of them together Mm -hmm. but i mean yeah this is the sort of thing that is 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 exactly the reason why back however many episodes episodes ago the we learned that the catholic church has this very rigorous thing for determining miracles Mm -hmm. and why that you know they were pretty much a, a firm no on the blinking crucifix mm-hmm. and their you know the rationale is you know just you know you do, you don't want cheap tricks uh contaminating your you know your honest spiritual worship and so yeah this it was just strange to see like all all, all this uh christian icon icons and stuff um but yeah the these the racket they ra- they ran. They convinced Karen that she needed to take four thousand dollars in cash, and just throw it off a bridge. Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> then another victim, Joan, who uh, she was a sixty-nine-year-old whose second husband had passed away. Mm-hmm. Uh, she ended up seeing these people as well. But, but and, and- hold before we get to her. Wait, I think we need to talk about the bath scene. Oh God! There was yeah. <laughs> part, uh, of, part of the, the whole the, like Karen, K- Karen was the one having the bathe to cleanse herself. Yeah, right? she was. She had to take all these like weird ritual baths, and okay. so uh, no, no detail left re-ena- unreenacted. Uh, we see the the actress playing um, playing Karen like in a bathroom, lighting all these candles and like sprinkling something in a bath and then like getting in this bath and then her relaxing in the bath do you think she's using the same chemicals they inject into those smoothies that you have to sign up for in advance um maybe i mean i i don't want to get too too far off course here but i'm still like you know she's like blessing doors with and her windows and cars with holy water 
before yeah. she before it comes to the like climax of her like you know saying satan get behind me and throwing money off a bridge and uh, while there's like praying and there's traffic they're praying in traffic and they're throwing money it's very strange I, anyway yeah i guess i didn't like register that as much because i didn't put anything in my notes about the bathing or the holy water i do have that like in, in the interview she said that her initial feeling about this going to the psychic was you got to be kidding me but in the very same breath she also says i was ready to believe anything yeah yeah which seems yeah a little contradictory to me well uh, and i remember the psychic um she said that the psychic asked her if she'd been having any suicidal thoughts and so karen as she's called was saying i don't know how she would know that i never told anybody um <laughs> i mean kind of, i mean it's who kind hasn't of like... had suicidal thoughts was my thought i mean not like in earnest but like if you're down in the dumps which i think you know a well-trained confidence person would be able to read that on you and doing a cold reading as psychics often do they can see that you're a little bit down it's not too far of a conclusion to say you know have you been having suicidal thoughts i think um karen even admits to uh being depressed uh, and then the psychic saying that the depression was a curse that she could lift if she did X, Y, and Z. So, I mean, I, yeah, I was just thinking, I'm like, well, who hasn't had suicidal thoughts? Right. I'm not right. looking to have a serious conversation about this, but rather just. Well, yeah, no, no. If someone just, said yeah, that to me, it, I would be like, no shit, next question. <laughs> like, I wouldn't be. Right, thinking. right. I mean, if, 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 yeah, if you had to come up with a list of, uh, easy home run thro- throws. Right. Uh, to, for to to bilk people out of money, that would probably be a pretty strong one. I mean, I guess I would have just gone with, uh, "Have you been feeling depressed lately or sad? Do you miss some? Yeah, you know, have you? Well, uh, well, that's funny because later in the segment when they're talking with Joan, some of the questions she asks her are like, "Has there been a recent death in the family?" Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which I feel is probably like the the go to for psychic fraud. Um, one briefly, one last thing about Karen, when they throw the money off the bridge, I wrote this down in quotes that the, the psychic fraud said something like this money has taken all the evil from your body. We have to get rid of this money. And then yes, we're greeted with that glorious image of them, her throwing the, uh, the wad into the river or did she, or did she? Yes. Because, as we'll soon learn, this money's not getting destroyed. Um, and, I, frankly, with Joan's story, both, I feel like both the reenactment and the actual story itself is a little more interesting than Karen's. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the the get, when you're getting asked, like, do you have a recent spiritual crisis in your life? Have you lost someone? And, like doing their whatever psychic reading it's like they, they determine that like i believe the quote i have here is something evil in your charts um and this call the, the confirmation on like whether this is something the psychics can address is the most ridiculous method method i've ever seen the psychic and joan tie a bed sheet around themselves uh, while seated 
and the use a money detector like in that Joan has given this woman money and this woman like runs it all over Joan. Am I remembering that right? Um, yeah, they were doing some weird stuff for sure. Yeah. Um, honestly. Yeah. And then the, the final, the final clue was like, she had Joan leave a box of shoebox of dirt in her garage for a week mm-hmm. and comes in and dumps like some liquid into it, which causes it to fizzle or something. It was, assu- it was blood. It looked like it was running uh-huh. with blood. And what she had done, what the psychic had done was um, pour hot water on it. So I was thinking, you know, when she brought that box of dirt or whatever, like she probably sprinkled some red dye or something. Ah, that would Before, make sense. You know what I mean? So. Yeah. I don't think that'd be a hard. I mean, this is like Victorian era sleight of hand magician shit. Seriously. Yeah. Um. And so this culminates in the psychics convincing Joan to burn $40,000. They have a little ceremony in the back, back in the backyard and they, they do this burning. But as it turns out, they didn't because the real trick here is that they, they take the money from the victim and then they, you know, they pocket it and have fake you know fake money or a fake envelope or whatever and that's what gets destroyed now you're looking for the secret but you won't find it because of course you're not really looking um yeah it's the the prestige of their yeah their three-part whatever con (laughs) yes it's um and so these two individuals, they were on the run as of this segment. Um, and it was really strange because this the the culmination of the reenactment is them getting like caught by the p- police. But then what was it? Did they make bail or something? Um. Yeah. One of one or both of them made bail, and then they got out. Yeah. And then they were on the run. You know, after having been caught with a quarter of a million dollars worth of stolen jewelry. Well, was it stolen or was it just greased out of people? True, true. I I guess, you know, if someone hands you jewelry and you tell or money or anything valuable and you tell them you're going to destroy it. Is it theft to keep it? I don't I don't know. I mean, they went to. They got arrested for something. I mean, it's fraud. Yeah. What they're doing yeah, is yeah. fraud. I mean, it is but I don't fraud. know if it's theft. Yeah. I mean, I don't mean to split hairs here. But no, 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 no. It's just... It, segment was fraud, not fraud. theft. Yeah. So, there, <laughs> yeah, we get an update where they caught... Uh, was it... They caught Lena Marie. And yeah. And another... They, accomplice named joe marks and they got whatever sentences they got but then they they decide like the authorities just decided they weren't looking for Anne anymore no there's just like some white text at the very end of the segment that said we're just not bothering with Anne." (laughs) she just got away with it we're just not gonna look for her anymore uh, i don't know is is there like 
like did, did the statute of limitations run out on her or I can't I, I don't know they weren't that specific uh, too long didn't read they're just like yeah it seemed like they just had other priorities they had better things to do then but they got they got two-thirds of the uh the con team yeah you know, they're they're calling yeah. it a win. I mean, it's like, how hard are you? Sp- I mean, I feel very, not really. I don't feel sorry. I don't really feel sorry for the people who got conned because they it's still, kind of hard to feel sorry for them because well, they. I mean, what they needed was like a good masseuse, not a psychic. <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. if they had taken like a hundred bucks and just treated themselves, they would have felt fantastic afterwards. Um, God, think think of what like. Forty thousand dollars in late nineteen eighties money could have allowed you to do. Um, it would have been a lot of massages for sure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I that's like biweekly at least, and having them come to your home. <laughs> Think of all the baseball cards they could have bought. So many and so many, like probably one half of Babe Ruth's World Series <laughs> jersey. <laughs> <laughs> I, I keep I, I still have this fantasy that at some point later in the series when they catch up with like one of these fraudsters they're the one in possession of the missing Babe Ruth jersey from like earlier in season one I'm glad that you said that because I can admit that I've secretly been hoping for that too I just I just uh, want that like crossover episode <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> Uh yeah, so um Robbie, what did you think about this segment? Uh it was interesting enough. I mean just just seeing the like the con going on was was just fascinating in of itself. So, I enjoyed watching it. It kept my interest. You know, I, I guess cuz yeah, I'm not I'm not as much of a true crime person as you are and fraud is something that up to this point, if it didn't involve sports memorabilia, I didn't really get into it as much. Yeah. But when you throw fraud in with, you know, the unexplained, quote unquote, it becomes a little more interesting for me. Uh, definitely. I um, I was fa- I was fascinated by the level of detail that went into the reenactments in this segment, from the bathing to the scene on the bridge to the rubbing the money in the sheet and the box in the garage and it was just it was the most mundane stuff mm-hmm. but it was uh all very strange in context so i i enjoyed i enjoyed that quite a bit uh i think our next segment is a treasure segment <laughs> Or lost inheritance. I'm not sure. Lo- 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 lost hairs. Lost hairs. Yes, it's our another sad, lonely bachelor death. Um, well, you know what, what? What we? No matter what we can say about this uh, sad, lonely bachelor, at least he never like this. To me, this guy is actually kind of the hero of the episode. Because in a, in an episode where three quarters of the segments have involved extremely, uh, you know, credulous people, this guy at least never lost money to some sort of con artist. This guy is kind of a hero. He he he, he has he did his best not to be a burden on society. Um. Uh, he maybe went a little too overboard. 
because this is another one of those cases where maybe they could have splurged a little to treat themselves. Yeah, I think... um, So the man we're talking about is named Howard Drummond uh, of Lansing, Michigan. Um, He passed, uh, presumably... I didn't write down the date, but um, presumably very shortly before... A year or two before the segment was filmed. Mm -hmm. Um. They describe him as money hoarding, and they give a very detailed account of his, like, weekly budget, and I have to admit, I kind of admire it. Um, <laughs> so, he was living at the Lansing YMCA for exactly $49 a week, so his monthly rent was $160 a month. No, a hundred $200 a month. <laughs> there we go. Uh, Got it. 196 um, to be exact, Wait. yeah, I was just rounding up to 50 and multiplying by four. But, um, anyway, <laughs> he lived at the YMCA. I guess he didn't have, like, his own bathroom or anything, and he didn't let anybody in his room. He was very right. cagey about letting anyone, like, in there to clean or look at it or anything. He didn't have guests over. Um, I'm also, I didn't understand that you could just, like, live at a YMCA. <laughs> I I've always been kind of vague as to what a YMCA looks like. Uh, because I used to think it was just like a sports club. Yeah, I thought it was just like you went. That's where you went to swim and like play pickup basketball. Yeah, but I, I guess you can uh, if you're a 74 year old uh, retired bank employee and postal worker, you can uh, you can live there. So um, it's it, it's not exactly the Howard Johnsons. No, but it's not. It's, yeah. Uh, but oh, it begs begs the question of what the weekly rate at a comparable Howard Johnsons during this time would have been. Oh God, maybe uh, maybe we should look that up and bring it up in the next episode. I I'm curious. Myself. <laughs> uh, but anyway, back to Howard. Um, so he's a money hoarder, I guess, uh, after he died, they went in his room and, and he, he was hoarding like all kinds of socks and he, uh, anyway, so here's his, his routine that they go through. <laughs> um, he gets up, uh, and goes to the like local diner and they have like a dollar ninety nine breakfast special. It's like bacon and eggs and a slice of toast or something. He gets yes. he gets that every morning, and then he orders two more, two more. for lunch and dinner. So uh, as and man, the way they like in the reenactment, they show him putting those two additional ones in the styrofoam cases into his bag. He has the most intense, intent look on his face. Like, you know, like he is like storing away gold bars and, you know, with with the same level of careful deliberateness. Uh, So he's only spending six dollars a day on food. So if you're keeping track at home, we're assuming seven days a week, uh, seven times six is probably forty two dollars. So he's spending $42 a week plus is about fifty dollars a week in rent. So his monthly expenses are like less than what $500 a month easily yeah and as you know assuming he doesn't have any debts or anything like that they never bring it up so uh anyway but he was he's a real pack rat and he was very particular about his receipts he always had to get his receipts for everything he had to keep his receipts um 
so the people that knew Howard that they interviewed said he was very gentle and he appreciated like the small things in life. Um, he had a lot of magazines uh, in his uh, little room as well. Did you them. take note of what his subscriptions were? Uh, not all of them, but I did take note uh, that he subscribed to Soviet Life. Yeah, uh, Crystal, I was just a. I don't want us to necessarily. I, I will admit, I was a little unnerved when I heard that he had he had a subscription to a sort of light propaganda magazine mm-hmm. for the USSR. But I'm hoping the fact that he also had subscriptions to the Wall Street Journal, Forbes, Psychology Today, and Foreign Affairs. I, I prefer to believe that a man as economical as Howard Drummond, mm. that his subscription to Soviet life was a um, was for academic interest in Soviet propaganda, much how like. I have an academic interest in uh, Islamic fundamentalism propaganda mm-hmm. and that in no way and no form did Howard Drummond uh, uh, subscribe to communism. I, uh, I agree with that thesis. Yeah. I think he was probably just staying apprised of current events given his yes. other subscriptions. <laughs> um, I mean, he did, it's not like he had, you know, like a news aggregator, those things things didn't even exist for like another 20 years basically so um right. so the next part of his daily routine after he gets his food from the diner is he marches over to the post office um apparently if you're nice to a postal worker <laughs> uh they they'll will do just, your grocery yeah shop. they'll just run errands for you i don't know if you got if listeners if you knew that but if you're just like really nice to a postal worker they'll like They'll get you anything you need. They'll go buy your go groceries. Your, uh, let, uh, get, give you office. Well, I, I'm assuming she bought the office supplies for him. But I don't know about you. Did you see in the reenactment? Did it look like? Because I'm assuming what 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 they meant to film was him picking up a box of like paper clips or something that she had put down for him. But it kind of looked because she was looking, turning away to look at something, and he reaches out and grabs something. I thought like they were showing him depicting him stealing tape. <laughs> I, I'm still hung up on like postal workers running workers. errands for you. Like what? What is that? I mean, I had a really nice mailman one time, but anytime I've actually gone into a post office, it's been a pretty wretched experience. So I don't, I don't know, maybe in the 80s, maybe in like Michigan, maybe things were a little more chill. Uh, maybe it was like his secret daughter and like she does, I don't know, maybe she knew and he didn't, I don't know, maybe there was a whole thing there. I'm speculating. Yeah. Um. So that was very strange. Uh also uh so anyway fast forward to two days later after uh howard passes away his um court appointed attorney comes to sort out all howard's paperwork and and his estate as it were um so howard is was also not only was he kind of like a meticulous hoarder he also had a diary of hour by hour account of news headlines so i think this supports the thesis that he just really wanted to stay on top of current events and he wasn't necessarily associated with the ussr in any way um he also was infatuated with princess diana i don't think at the time that's very a very 
noteworthy observation because like who Elton John was obsessed with Princess Diana. So I don't think that's like, Oh yeah, no, I, that's for that. That's pretty standard. In fact, for all you millennials out there, (laughs) are we we having a catch up? Yeah, I think we kind of have to because Princess Diana died in what? 1998, 90, 99. Princess Diana was a woman who married, uh, Prince Charles, mm-hmm. um, who was who who currently is the heir to the throne of the United Kingdom, and she was very, uh, very widely ad- widely admired by uh, the public. I mean, yeah, you know, it's it's not. It seems like it's not so much prevalent today. But back, I remember back in the nineties, there was a lot of like interest in the royal family and a lot of people mm. followed them like they would celebrities um we still do yeah and i will speak for myself we still do um oh are you a are you a, listen are you... i'm just very excited about the upcoming royal wedding so oh my god and i remember i remember exactly where i was when um 2011 it was april 2011 uh when uh Prince William married Kate Middleton because I love Kate Middleton and I actually got my hair cut like her for several years. Um, <laughs> she has like good hair. Like so, you can't argue with that. That's why your hair was like that. Yeah, it was it was the it was the feathered Kate Middleton layered look. But anyway, I was in a cafe because if you were trying to watch the wedding in 2011 and you live in the United States you kind of had to stay up all night because it was like mid middle of the day yeah uh in England but I happened to be in Warsaw Poland at the time so I got to watch it in real time middle of the day um in a cafe in Poland and so I mean it was like on even in just continental Europe it was on every television yeah, just for the cultural. Con- I mean, I could probably talk about this all day. We should move on from. from you listen to Royal Chat with Crystal. Um, um, yeah, and I I know I'm not someone that anyone would would suspect gives a damn about these things, but I like it because it's nice. Uh, it's it's not political. It's nice. Yeah. And- There's nothing weird about Howard Drummond having like being obsessed <laughs> with Princess Diana because a lot of people were obsessed with right. Princess Diana. We've also been talking about this for ten minutes. So yeah, maybe okay. It's time to move so on. <laughs> anyway, I like the in the reenactment they depict yes. uh, the lawyer um, uh, Paul Rosenbaum as he's looking through the papers, the the you know the actual documents of the estate. He's he has them like just scattered in a huge pile on his table while he's smoking a cigar. And I know for, for some reason I found the image much amusing, but in the process of doing this, uh, he, he discovers that Howard had like a quarter of a million dollars and found in his belongings, mm-hmm. uh, with like 11 different bank accounts across the country. And that they were, the, the I guess I could see where you, you would describe this as a lost treasure segment be, or hidden treasure or whatever because they do make reference to that gym bag that Howard always carried around mm-hmm. speculating that maybe it also had uh, valuable documents in it 
there's speculation that it was put into a bus station locker somewhere because there's a key mark number 29 that was mm-hmm. found in Howard's belongings. There's probably some very old diner food. <laughs> <laughs> there's a bus station somewhere uh, there's uh, just there's... like fossilized bacon and eggs and toast sitting in a a horrible do you think those lockers are, are airtight or is that smell just like oh you know after a couple of weeks it would have just that there wouldn't be anything left so and just just yeah it wouldn't smell anymore that's what i'm saying well yeah the ambient smells of the bus station yes yeah, overpowered probably. You know, you mentioned stealing tape from the postal worker. But, I was I was hoping you would mention this. But you because... know, that's why he was uh, fired from the bank. Yes, for stealing tape, scotch tape. Um, that, that's that's part of the a weird thing to steal from a bank. <laughs> I found it a weird thing to be fired for stealing from a bank. Um. I, I mean, is is he like just is he stealing just a single roll of scotch tape? Uh so so Howard Drummond's case here ends uh with an update that several heirs had come forward and could yes. prove yeah, prove they were related to him and then the fortune was dispersed. We finally get one of these segments where the money actually reaches people who ostensibly are supposed to get it i don't know where were these people when he was busy living in the y who knows i don't this next segment oh i think this one can be summed up pretty quickly uh i like that we get a new segment title i like that a lot and then the new segment title is sci med that's Was right. that the segment title? Yeah, we get a brand new like uh, uh, cut screen. And I feel it's... like that's something that does probably never got used after this episode. Well, because yeah, as you say, the segment can be summed up pretty easily in that a guy almost died and then didn't, and now he's fine. Miracle, <laughs> you be the judge. Yeah. All right. Good call. <laughs> Good night. All right. Later. <laughs> I really no, don't. I, I really don't know. I don't know what the point of this. I really don't know. <laughs> Having watched the episode two or three times, I yeah. don't know what my takeaway is supposed to be. Right from this segment, because it really was just—it's so stupid. Didn't he like climb? This guy Don climbs up in a tree with his like hunting rifle or something. Yes, and th- that <laughs> this is actually the highlight of the segment too. Because, like, they use Don and his actual friends in the reenactment. Yeah. <laughs> um, Don Don is not, obviously not an actor, but I felt like he, he didn't do too bad of a job. But his friends are just absolutely expressionless on screen. I, I, I can't what, help but feel that... You don't think a that... bunch of deer hunters from Minnesota would be good reenactors? Well, no, but I would assume they'd be able to recreate something that they actually experienced in an activity that was an everyday occurrence in their life. <laughs> My God, I heard a sound. Let's go over there. Uh, 
I, 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 your point is taken, but yeah, we, that they did, we get basically see Don climb up into a tree and clearly he didn't watch that tree stand safety video that gets featured on best of the worst wheel of the worst segments Mm -hmm. all the time. He definitely didn't watch that. No, because he falls asleep, drops his rifle and when his rifle hits the ground, it fires and he ends up getting shot. Yeah, he gets shot through a major vein in his leg. And so he loses a lot of blood. And uh, so his friends friends get him to the hospital. Um, he's technically alive, but he has no blood pressure. I don't know what that means. Mm-hmm. Uh, technically alive, like he was still breathing, maybe? I don't, yeah, I don't know. I, uh, like, yeah, um, I think he was fell into a coma at some point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The doctors, and... doctors tell the family that he's probably not going to make it. And was it his mom who just said, like, I can't accept that? Yeah. And so they just kept, they kept talking to him while he was in the coma as if he could respond. And they had um, folks coming in. They laid hands and prayed on him. And, um, and then they interview the various doctors that treated Don and they were pretty astounded because they didn't think he was going to make it because he was basically brain dead. They were so they were saying he was on life support, and the doctors were saying, you know, you got to turn off the life support. And the family was like, no. Um, and then, sure enough, like Don started to wake up at some point, and he started reacting to questions by nodding, yada yada yada. Doctors were like, this this isn't real. But then within four weeks of being uh, brain dead, allegedly, uh, he uh, was, was what, like up and walking around or something crazy like that? Yeah. Yeah. yeah he was able to walk on crutches. Within yeah. six months, he was walking without crutches. And so. then 20 months after the accident, he married his uh, girlfriend. Hooray. Yeah. So there you go. Uh, sometimes <laughs> bad things happen. Yep. Sometimes bad sometimes things happen. Yeah. Sometimes you can die from them, but yep. other times you don't. Yeah, other times you, you, you can beat the odds. Yeah. So, um... I, yeah, I really I, don't even understand... What on earth what... was this doing on the show? Like, I don't even know what the mystery was. Was the mystery, like, does prayer heal you? Is the mystery medical? Because the title of the segment is SciMed, which is a compound of science and medicine. Yeah, I, I. So what are me, they it, saying here? It was it was it was frustratingly ambiguous because it wasn't like a how I normally conceive of their miracle segments. No, because this this I mean, a miracle would have been, um, God, I don't know what, but not this. This is just like, just something that happened. I, a miracle is like when the po- impossible becomes possible, but. It's not impossible for someone who's like shot to not die. I, uh, yeah, so, Crystal, did you like this segment? I didn't. I couldn't. I didn't even know what was going on. Like, what's their? What's your? What's your thesis, man? Like, what are you trying to say with this? I don't know. Yeah. It was. I wasn't into it. Well, I I think this has probably uh, gone on long enough and we should stop making this podcast. (laughs) 
not just this episode, but this podcast. Yeah, I want to end it on this SciMed uh, segment and just quit the podcast. So I'm quitting. Um, oh, well, wait, the, but we the... have that contest now, so we, I can't shit. Yeah, yeah. We, so if you want this podcast to end, please go on iTunes and leave us a five-star review. Yes, and just and, and speed up uh, the inevitable. Yeah. Uh. Well. Yeah. Go on iTunes. Um. You can find us on Twitter. We're at Reenacted Pod. We love hearing from you. Um. We're we still... have a Facebook page mm-hmm. that people are somehow finding, and we also have an email address that people somehow find us at too. Yeah. Uh, I think they're all at like Reenacted Pod, right? Reenacted Pod is the brand. So yeah. just put put something like at something or at before Reenacted. You know, you can find us. Uh, make sure to tell um, your book club, as usual, about us. Um, make sure to tell your uh, postal worker the next time you see her. In between picking up your groceries. Yeah, the next time, she, next time your, post, your local postal worker is dropping off your groceries and dry cleaning and getting your dog groomed for you. <laughs> Uh, it's full service over there at the U.S. Postal Service. Um, you can let her know. Reenacted pod. Uh, Robbie, did you have anything you wanted to add? No, I don't. So, so we'll just sign off. I will. Okay. Join me next week for another edition of Unsolved Mystery.